A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Throughout the Old Testament, the prophets spoke of the promised Savior, telling the people how to recognize his coming and reminding them that God had not forgotten. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, the son of a virgin, a king to rule according to the lineage of David, ushering in an era of unprecedented peace. Israel watched and waited, filled with longing and expectation for this promised deliverer. Then, on a night, unassuming and normal, God came just as he said he would. A young woman named Mary, who was with child, journeyed alongside Joseph, her betrothed, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, so they could be counted for the census according to Caesar's decree. The couple entered the sleepy Judean town, filled to the brim with the descendants of David, and took refuge in the only place available, a stable. When the fullness of time had come, Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. Mary wrapped him in cloths, laid him in a manger, and gave him the name Jesus, because he would save his people from their sins. This newborn cry pierced the midnight sky like a trumpet hurtling sin's demise and the defeat of death forever for all who would believe. God stepped into time and wrapped himself in in the frailty of human skin. He came full of pity, compassion, and power to rescue those lost in darkness and carry them into the kingdom of everlasting light. In In hindsight, we see in Jesus the fulfillment of all that the prophets spoke concerning the Messiah. We understand that our Lord has done just what he said he would do in exactly the right way at exactly the right time. Today, we light our fourth Advent candle as a reminder of the unspeakable joy we have in that our God came to save us. Let us pray. God, at Advent we sing with great enthusiasm, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Together we celebrate your birth, that you have kept your promises and are rescuing your world. We confess that at times we are prone to seek the gifts and blessings of Christ than to actually receive him as king. Lord, please forgive us and and cleanse us. Forgive us for making the season about us and material possessions rather than about you. Renew your sustaining spirit within us that we might truly know and live in your joy through Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, good morning once again. And hey, welcome to FBC Online. We are so glad that you're here with us this morning, that you are worshiping with us this morning. Uh, My name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here at FBC. And just want to say, Welcome and also remind you that hey, Christmas is only a few days away. Christmas Eve is almost upon us, and so I just uh, want to invite you to join us for our Christmas Eve service uh, this week. This week, we hope you'll join us for one of these celebrations. More information can be found on our website with the details and how to uh, make sure not to miss any of that. So we are so excited for these. Uh, celebrations coming up. And uh, this morning, 
we are wrapping up the book of 2 Timothy. We're landing the plane, uh, this journey that we've been on since the month of August. We've been walking through this letter of 2 Timothy. We haven't been in a rush, right? We've been taking our time just walking through little by little. And I hope that along the way you've seen uh, just how rich God's Word is, how He speaks to us even today through it. And so one last time, would you join me in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4 as we have our last week of this series we've titled Onward. Uh, Just a heads up, in the weeks ahead, we're going to take a little bit of time to take a break from a book study and instead uh, survey a variety of passages as we talk about our mission and vision and opportunities to go and engage uh, our world with the gospel. So we're going to have a few weeks here in early 2021 to look at that before uh, jumping back into a book study, but just wanted to know a little bit of what's coming. Uh, Would you pray with me then as we prepare to study chapter 4 here? Father, we thank you uh, for the gift of this morning and the gift of worship, the gift that we can come before you and pray to you and sing and praise you. Uh, And thank you for your word. Lord, uh, it never ceases to amaze us the gift that your word is, that you make yourself known to us through your word, that we can come with humble hearts and uh, open hands and say, Lord, would you speak? Would you teach us? Would you guide us? So Lord, we give you this time this morning. Open our eyes and ears. Help us see, uh, illuminate our understanding. Help us know what these verses mean and how to apply them to our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've all heard the sentiment that it's not about how you start, it's how you finish, right? Finishing strong is more important than starting strong, because if you start strong, you might falter and stumble and drift, but finishing strong is really what counts. And perhaps this is especially on our minds as we prepare for the end of 2020, right? We're counting down the days left in this year, this strange year, probably the most uh, strange and challenging calendar year that any of us can remember. So as we think about closing out 2020, uh, there are a number of suggestions out there on the internet and such about how to finish strong. How do we finish out the year well? Some of the suggestions, I did a little search online, some of the suggestions that people were putting out there was pretty simple stuff. One was, hey, evaluate the past year. Okay, look back on the year behind you. What have you learned? How have you grown? How do you still need to grow? Evaluate what's taken place. Second thing you can do to finish strong in 2020, they say, is to uh, set goals for what's ahead. So look now out at the future and what do you want to step into? What are you passionate about? What opportunities do you have? That'll help you uh, transition well to this next year. Set some goals for what is ahead. And so I'm curious where where you are right now. If you want to engage in the chat with us for just a moment, we'd love to hear something that you're excited about as we finish 2020. As the year draws to a close, what's something you're looking forward to? Share with us in the chat. Just take a second right now, wherever you are, share with us what are you looking forward to in these last few days of 2020. You know, it's wise for us to reflect on our past year, to 
prepare for what is ahead. That's part of finishing strong. But, but more than just thinking about the end of our year, it's wise to think about the end of our life and how we can follow Jesus faithfully until our very last day. And see, what we're going to see in the text this morning is the Apostle Paul writing the end of this letter, the end of 2 Timothy. This is uh, the last few verses in the last New Testament letter that the Apostle Paul writes before he dies. He's nearing the end of his life, and we get a glimpse of his heart and his attitude as he prepares to die. And this morning, we're going to see a few key insights about how we can finish strong in life and faith. Take a look at the text with me, verse 16 through the end. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth, and the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimusic in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Friends, in these personal comments and short verses here, we will see some insights about how Paul was able to finish well. But before we point those out, I I want you just to notice in the text uh, the tone and the lack of bitterness we see at the end of Paul's life. Look at verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. Paul speaks of his first defense, which likely was some sort of trial or challenge, uh, a hearing uh, after a recent arrest. And once again, he speaks, as he's mentioned before, about being deserted. No one stood by him. Uh, Paul was clearly, time and time again, a man who knew loneliness and rejection. But, But notice what Paul says about those who abandoned him. May it not be held against them, it says. So it doesn't seem that he holds bitterness in his heart, a desire for vengeance. May it not be held against them. There's grace and forgiveness there. It reminds me of what we saw last week in verse 14 of chapter 4. Remember with Alexander, the metal worker who opposed the gospel and caused Paul great harm? What did Paul say about him? He said, the Lord will repay him. In other words, God will deal with him and and do what is right. And so it's not up to me to execute judgment upon him or want wrath against him. Or or think of uh, earlier in chapter 4, Paul says in verse 6, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. My life is being poured out as an offering to the Lord. My life is being emptied out. My time draws near. I fought the good fight. And so in these verses, just a couple 
examples, we see a man at peace. A man at peace with his coming death. Right? To those who abandoned me, may it not be held against them. To those who have harmed me, God will deal with that. My life is being poured out as a gift to God and others. It's pretty remarkable if you think about it, because I know for me it's pretty easy to be offended and to hold on to bitterness in my heart. Right? Isn't that kind of a natural human response when we face rejection, even in small ways? Even when someone cuts us off in traffic or has to cancel some uh, date we had planned with them that we were excited about, we're like, oh. thought that I mattered to them. I'm going to be a little bitter about this or frustrated. Right? When we're uh, wronged in small ways or disappointed even, or in bigger ways rejected or abandoned or, or marginalized, it hurts. And bitterness can crop up in our hearts and they can stick with us. It can be hard for us to shake. But we see in Paul a man who's remarkably free and at peace. So how can we become people who finish strong like Paul? I think we see a few keys in the text. Uh, look at me first at verse 17. He says, But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Now, remember what Paul's just said. I was deserted, verse 16. No one stood by me, but here, but the Lord. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength. It's as if Paul is picturing this dear friend standing beside him in the midst of a trial, strengthening him. And I'm sure you've known in some sphere the comfort of a friend or a counselor or a parent that, that shows up, that is present with you, that stands by you when you're about to step into something challenging, something scary, something that would cause fear. And it brings incredible encouragement, doesn't it? Simply to know that someone is there with us, that we're not facing it alone. So Paul's saying, the Lord stood by me. God himself was with me. And friends, I have to realize and see how, how different this is from sometimes how we today approach our faith or understand Christianity. Sometimes we think following Jesus is, is merely about affirming this abstract list of doctrines or affirming or giving mental assent to some key propositions and abstract principles and sign off. Yeah, I believe that. We sign off on these truth claims. That's certainly part of it, but only part of it. That's not the whole or even, even the heart of what it means to walk with Jesus because what at the heart of the Christian faith is the presence of God. We have the gift of knowing God himself, of being in relationship with the creator and sustainer of the universe. And we see this throughout the scriptures. I think back to the Old Testament, our friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel chapter 3, and Babylon as they go into the fiery furnace because they refuse to worship in an idolatrous way. 
what do we see? There was another in the fire walking with them. The presence of God was with them. Or we see in Psalm 23, as David writes his most famous psalm, he says, what, even in the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. You're my shepherd that guides me even in the valley of the shadow of death. The presence of God with him. Jesus promises his disciples in Matthew 28, I'll never leave you. I'm with you always, he says. So the Bible over and over again affirms that when we worship God and we love God, it is to enter into a relationship with the living God. And he promises us that we will never walk alone. Friends, this is the difference, and we've talked about this before, between a travel agent and a tour guide. Okay, sometimes we we view God like a travel agent. He's like, you know, we walk up to him. Hey, I'm going on a trip. I would like to get to heaven. He's like, great, I know the way to heaven. Hey, here, you're going to follow this route. Go here. Boom, and I'm going to send you on your way, and we'll we'll see you when you get there. Have a great trip. Right? No no relationship, no presence, no companionship. There's, yeah, hey, give me the map and tell me how to get there. Set it up for me. Oh, yeah, did you you book the tickets? Yeah, you booked, okay, you booked the tickets. We're good. I'm on the list. Are you sure I'm on the list? Okay, good. All right, see you later. God's not our travel agent. He's more like a tour guide, obviously a much more relationally invested tour guide, but he's, he's on the journey with us, or he shows up with us, and he's pointing things out, and he's bringing us along. Hey, you're going to want to avoid this. No, come with me over here. No, don't step. Don't put your hand in the ice cream machine. Don't put your hand in the ice cream machine. No, come on. Come on. We're, no, let's go this way. Okay, and here, you're going to want to see this. This is pretty cool. Check this out. You, you, you and your family are going to want to spend some time here. Great, right? He's walking with us, more like a tour guide along the way, on the path with us, than some travel agent that is distant. And friends, when we realize this, that as Christians, we get to enjoy the presence of God. It gives us strength and encouragement when we're weak. As Paul said, no one else was with me, but the Lord stood by me, and that's all I needed. It gives us comfort when we're disheartened or grieved. It gives us joy and peace that transcends understanding or circumstances. So whether you are close to the finish line or not, I want you to know that if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, God is with you. And whatever you're facing, And I know that some of you are facing some really difficult things right now. God wants to remind you, I'm standing by you. I'm there. So we can finish strong uh, first by, number one, knowing God's presence, as Paul did. But but notice here, this is an important kind of point here, that Paul is not just talking about his present situation. Yes, God is with Paul, and that helps him finish strong in the present moment. But what Paul is doing, you notice, is he's, he's looking back at these challenges, at these trials, and he's affirming that God was present with him even then. And I have to point out how easily maybe it would have been for Paul to do what so many of us do today. And that's what we look back at all the abandonment or or loss, or or challenges, or pain that we face in our life, and we say, where was God? And we use those difficult things as evidence of God not being with us. Well, surely God wasn't with me there. Where was God when that happened? Or God surely uh, doesn't care for me, because if he did, he wouldn't have allowed that to happen. Or God surely can't be good, because look at what took place in my life. He's not loving, he's not good, he doesn't 
care about me. But you notice what Paul does is Paul looks back at challenging circumstances and he could interpret them to say God wasn't with me, but instead he looks back and he says, no, God was with me there. God stood by me there. And so the circumstances were not evidence of God abandoning him. And this is so important that we see this, that what matters most in your life is not necessarily your circumstances, but how you interpret your circumstances. And let me say that again. What matters most in your life is not necessarily your circumstances, but how you interpret your circumstances. You have a choice to make. Will you look at the pain and the loss and the trials and the challenges and say, you know what? God abandoned me. God was not with me. God does not love me. Or will you look at the same circumstances and interpret them differently through the lens of faith and trust and say, no, like Paul, God was with me there. God stood by me there. God strengthened me there. I'm still standing here today only because God was gracious and kind and strengthened me through my challenges. So friends, to finish strong, we have to know God's presence. Paul's reflections continue in verse 17. He says, The Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Not only does Paul know God's presence, but what do you see? He knows his purpose. The takeaway for us, we have to know our purpose in order to finish strong. God gave me strength, he says, what? So that he could continue ministry, so that through me, the gospel might be proclaimed to the Gentiles and they all might hear it. So Paul had this unique uh, call and equipping to take the gospel to the Gentiles, the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus to the Gentile world, these non-Jews, so that every tribe, tongue, and nation would hear about Jesus. And so Paul knew what he was about and what God had called him to, and he gave his life to him. And so he could have peace at the end because he looked back and saw what he was about and knew that he was true to the calling God placed on his life. Author Bronnie Ware recently wrote a book after extensive conversations with people nearing their death, and she wrote about the most common regrets people have as they are about to die. The most common regret she heard, top of the list, was this, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Meaning what? There was a purpose for me. There were passions in my heart that I did not pursue. I was too busy doing what other people were doing, or I was too busy doing what I thought people wanted me to do, rather than what I felt I was truly supposed to be about, and I deeply regret that. Now, as Christians, we can learn something here. Okay, and I'm not saying, like she does, hey, just go be true to yourself. Go and follow your heart and go do what feels right. Because let's be honest, sometimes that's terrible advice. And that leads to a whole mess of problems. Because ultimately, it's not about us, right? The gospel is not about self-fulfillment. And just go pursue your dreams and do whatever you want to do. It's about self-sacrifice and doing what God's called us to do. Okay, so I'm not saying, hey, just, just go and, and be true to yourself, 
no matter the consequences. No, but I think it is biblical to realize that there is a God-given purpose for you. Like you have a unique calling from God. You exist for a reason. And so it would be accurate to say, hey, be true to the call that God has placed on your life. There are good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. There are gifts and skills and opportunities that you have, that God has uniquely designed you and prepared you to do things that no one else can do. You're in relationship with people that some of the people aren't in relationship with. There are things that he's called you to do that other people can't do. And he's called you to this for the good of other people and for his own glory. And so friends, the church in the world needs you to be you and do the things that God has called you to do. And there's great joy in that when you can know your purpose. And I think Paul can end his life with peace in his heart because he knew the purpose that God had given him, that he'd embraced it, that he'd walked in it. And so for us, friends, have we embraced the call to go? Right, our core commitments at the church, worship, connect, grow, and go. Go and engage the needs of the world with the power of the gospel. Like Paul, we all have the expectation to be witnesses, to share about Jesus, to invite other people to know him. That means with our words, make disciples, invite, share, teach, explain. And also, we all have the call to go and, and love our neighbors and be salt and light, to, to live for the good of others, for the good of our city, that all people might flourish, to care for the hungry and care for the poor and protect the vulnerable. And so, friends, we, we share a singular focus, glorifying God, seeing lives transformed by the gospel, loving our neighbors, but that will take different forms depending on who you are and how you've been gifted. Just as the body has many parts, so the body of Christ has many parts, different ways, different gifts, different opportunities that you have to contribute. And so I want to just uh, invite you to ask one question in terms of finding your purpose. And I, want, uh, I can't lay this out perfectly for everyone in every situation, but a question that we can use to start exploring that would be uh, not what am I consuming, but what am I contributing? I think we all need to ask that question. Not just what am I consuming, but what am I contributing? Because sometimes uh, in, in America, we do this. We have a consumer mentality where we want to consume, especially in the church, I want to consume quality content. I want to consume uh, quality preaching. I want to consume quality worship experiences. So often we, we think about our spiritual lives and spiritual things as consumer products and goods that are to be uh, purchased and consumed like we would at a store. But the first question about church should not be just, did I enjoy what I consumed was I fed? Was I entertained? But instead we should be asking, what am I contributing? So now what am I consuming? What am I contributing? How, how am I uh, participating in the life of this church? How am I using my gifts? How am I uh, encouraging, blessing, building others up, doing what God has called me to do? So not 
what am I consuming, but what am I contributing? Friends, in order to live well and to finish strong, we have to know our purpose. So we need to know God's presence. We need to know our purpose. I want you to see one more piece in verse 18. It says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord will rescue me, he says, from every evil attack. Now, some people will look at this and say, well, clearly Paul thinks he's about to be released from prison. He thinks his trial is going to go well. He's not going to go to his death. He doesn't deserve death. And so God is going to deliver him, rescue him from these evil attacks. But we know that this can't be the case because just earlier in the chapter, in verse 6, he says, hey, I've explained my death draws near. I'm being poured out like an offering. I've finished the race. He knows his days are numbered. And so it seems unlikely that here now, all of a sudden he's changed his mind and he expects to be released. So the rescue he's talking about is not primarily in earthly terms. Okay, look at verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So notice, the rescue he speaks of is being brought safely into his heavenly kingdom. He's not saying, hey, all the earthly circumstances and challenges I'm facing are going to work out favorably for me. No, but he says, I do have a future. I know that I will be safely brought into the kingdom of God and have eternal life. And so, number three, in terms of how we finish strong, we need to know our future. He knows that his eternity is set. He knows that he's a citizen of the kingdom of God. He knows that he's been rescued, not just in an earthly sense, but he's rescued by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. His eternity is secure. Through faith in him, he's received forgiveness of his sins, eternal life, adoption into the family of God, a new heart. So friends, I ask you, do you know your future? Do you know where you're headed? An article in the New York Times from 2016 showed that suicide rates had recently reached a 30-year high. And the suicide rate rose across virtually every uh, racial category for both men and women. And it was puzzling for a lot of people. A lot of researchers said it, it doesn't make sense because we live in arguably the, the safest, most technologically advanced, uh, most comfortable era of human history. We have the longest life expectancy. And kind of by objective standards, the most reason to be uh, optimistic about where things are going. And yet, there is this growing sense of hopelessness in our world and this growing sense of pessimism about the future. We are our future-oriented beings who need hope. And researchers realize one of the reasons for these rise, the rise in suicide rates is because people have lost hope. And friends, if anyone has reason for hope, 
If anyone has reason for joy and optimism about the future and eternity, it's followers of Jesus, right? Because the good news of Jesus offers us a hope and a future that transcends uh, the suffering we face now, that transcends uh, the challenges and difficult circumstances we face now, that transcends even a, a horribly challenging 2020, a hope that is deeply relational, that we can know God, be with God and his people and his good world forever. All of this accomplished by the work of Jesus. Friends, we have great reason to have hope. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, most religious systems teach an afterlife, but ordinarily it is conditioned on your living a morally good and religiously observant life. Christianity, as we have seen, on the contrary, offers salvation as a gift. It does not belong to the good people, but to the people who will admit that they are not good enough and that they need a savior. And so Christians do not approach death uncertain whether they will be found worthy of eternal life. They believe in Jesus, who alone has a record worthy of eternal life, and they are secure in him. Friends, it was because of Jesus that that Paul knew his future was secure. And so for us as Christians, we don't approach death and eternity with confidence because we know that we're so great or that we're going to measure up and the scales are going to be put right when we show all of our good deeds. If that were the case, we would be deeply lost. No, we can face our future and eternity with confidence because we know Jesus and and he paid for all of our sins so there's no condemnation left for those who are in Christ there's no fear that remains for those who are in Christ we've been forgiven the the verdict has already been given we've been pardoned eternally because of the grace and mercy of God and friends we don't have to fear the future and furthermore whatever circumstances we face we know hey no matter how poorly things go here Jesus will return. There's the resurrection that I have to look forward to and life forever with him in a completely renewed, healed, perfect world that God will usher in. And friends, it's, it's this truth that we celebrate as a church that I want to offer and, and invite you to experience. If you're here today and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, Maybe you've been been counting on your own righteousness to stand up at the end of the day, that God's going to think I'm a pretty good person. Maybe you've been relying on your own strength. Maybe you haven't known what to believe. Jesus invites you to put your faith and trust in him. He says, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. We know that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's offered to all who would simply repent and trust in him for salvation. And friends, it's these truths that we celebrate as we come to the table to take communion. Uh, Communion is an opportunity for the church, for, for anyone who's put their faith in Jesus to remember him and his sacrifice. And so I want to invite you wherever you are to grab the elements that you need an element representing the bread or the the body of Jesus, 
and uh, something to drink, an element representing the blood of Jesus. Because communion is a chance for us to remember the cross, the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and for me in order that our sins might be forgiven, in order that we might be welcomed back to, to sit around the table of God and be adopted into his family. And so friends, I'm going to pray here in just a moment and then we're going to grab the elements and we'll take them together. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for the incredible truth of the gospel that though we were sinners running away from you, worthy of judgment and condemnation, you rescued us. And in your amazing grace and your incredible mercy, you died for us. You paid the penalty for our sins. And then you rose again to new life. So now we might have new life, new hearts, eternal life in you. Jesus, we did not deserve this, but you gave it to us as a gift. And so we praise you as our Savior and as our King. And we take these elements now to remember you and celebrate the cross. And Jesus, we look forward to the future knowing that you will come again and restore all things. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. Amen.